You're listening to the Joy Junkie Show podcast, episode 412. You can find information on anything referenced in this week's episode at thejoyjunkie.com slash 412. You're listening to The Joy Junkie Show, your source for getting your shit together in love and life. Wouldn't it suck if I really talk like that? Without further ado, here's your host, life coach, speaker, all-around badass, Amy E. Smith. Hey, hey, audience, Amy here, and today we're going to be continuing on our two-part series around self-abandonment. Well, I guess two parts for me, but four parts total. If you did not catch episodes 409 and 410, I had two amazing therapists who were able to share how self-abandonment shows up as far as codependency, also narcissism, and how It is affected by our social systems and how our family of origin impacts us. So if you haven't checked out those guest episodes, please do so. I'll be sure to link them in the show notes. And then I've been sounding off last week and this week on 12 ways that we tend to abandon ourselves or kind of put ourselves on the back burner, so to speak, and what we can actually do about it. So last week, I started with the first six which were not listening to your intuition, people-pleasing, hiding parts of yourself, perfectionism, self-criticism, and ignoring and dismissing your needs. So be sure to check out part one. That's episode 411. It will also be linked in the show notes. I think it would be good to start off with that one, obviously, because it's in chronological order. But I think it also offers a really great precursor to this concept around self-abandonment. So as far as giving credit where credit is due, I did get a decent amount of information for these two episodes from an article in Psych Central, which I will absolutely link in the show notes as well. And then there were two memes that were made by two different accounts, one account on Instagram, which was Soul Essence Love, and I'm going to link to that website as well as to that meme, and another by a therapist named Julia Christina, and I've also linked to her website as well as this specific meme that she had put together. And I thought they were both just great summations of ways that self-abandonment can actually show up. So prior to doing my interviews with Danae and Vanessa at the very start of this series, I really wasn't super familiar with this term of self-abandonment. And very quickly, I realized that it was an amazing almost all-encompassing term to describe a lot of the ways that we tend to leave ourselves behind and make sure that everybody else is okay. In fact, I think a large swath of what I teach and what I educate on could fall under the category of self-abandonment. Although I will say, in speaking with Danae and Vanessa, who are both therapists, I think that this term is probably thrown around more frequently in therapy circles as opposed to personal development circles. And something that I discussed with Vanessa 
which I think is incredibly important to underline, is that we're really quick to identify and label ourselves and put ourselves in categories or others in categories where we say, oh, well, they are a narcissist or that person's toxic or I'm an anxious attachment style or I'm a secure attachment style or I'm a four on the Enneagram or I'm this. And I think all of those things can be really great and really super insightful But I don't think that the terms and the labels are really what make the biggest impact. I think it's more so about identifying specific patterns of behavior that we have adopted over time and then assessing, do those patterns of behavior behavior cater to my fulfillment or do they kind of rob me of my joy? And sometimes they'll, they will be both. So for example, people pleasing. There are very real ways where pleasing other people may bring you a tremendous amount of joy, right? Like if you are in a helping profession and you are able to cater to somebody's well-being in some way, that can be wildly fulfilling. That is very, very different than feeling as though you have to hide who you are, what you believe in, what you stand for, because somebody else might not approve of it. So I think it's important that we don't put any rules on some of these terms, that they are always a negative thing, always a bad thing, or that they're always what we should be striving for. I think it's about all of the nuance and looking at each individual situation through an appropriate lens. That being said, a lot of these behaviors that I'm going to continue talking about today, ways that we tend to put ourselves on the back burner or ignore who we are or what we might need, a lot of times we adopt that based off of our childhood, based off of ways that we knew how to feel safe. And I mentioned this last week as well, but I do think it warrants repeating that if you are a part of any marginalized identity or an intersection of a marginalized identity, like perhaps uh, somebody who identifies as queer and has a disability or has a disability and is a person of color, there may be certain behaviors that I talk about today that you adopted because you quite literally had to stay safe. If you are a part of the queer community, let's say, People-pleasing in certain instances may mean that you're taking care of your own safety. So I want to make sure that when I'm talking about these broad concepts, that they really are going to be quite nuanced depending on your specific situation, your lived experiences. So I want you to be sure that you keep a very open mind about that as we go through this, because I am not at all saying that these are bad coping techniques. In fact, I think that's a dangerous concept to kind of put forth. I really think it's about assessing, are these tactics, are these behaviors really helping me? Or does it feel empowering? Or is it something that's stealing my joy? Or is it sort of a mixture of both? All right. So just kind of keep that in mind as we go through. So we talked about the first six last week. So now we're jumping into number seven, which is suppressing your feelings. 
Now I could get on a fucking soapbox about this because I truly believe that emotional intelligence is something that could quite literally change our entire world. And here's what I mean by that. When we are taught to not feel what we feel and to suppress how we feel, we then oftentimes will turn to other things. When we are in emotional pain, we a lot of times will try to fix an emotional feeling with a physical feeling. So for some people, if they're in a lot of emotional pain, but they're not able to express it or they've been told they're not able to express it or that it's wrong, they will oftentimes turn to a physical feeling. Sometimes that's fighting. That's actual violence, right? Sometimes that is drinking. Sometimes it's sex. Sometimes it's drugs. Sometimes it's exercising to excess. But oftentimes, and I'm not saying that all of those things are negative necessarily, have a drink, whatever, go for a run for sure. But the idea that we can substitute physical feelings in lieu of emotional feelings is a fallacy. And I truly believe that if we were taught from a very early age how to be with our various emotions and we did not chastise them, we would learn how to work with them. But as many of you know, anger is a secondary emotion, which means that there's typically a primary emotion underneath that anger. But what do we see that leads to most violence in our world? Anger. Am I right? People who are able to suppress anger, all of a sudden they've been drinking and they can no longer su suppress it or they something snaps. But it's not just about anger. It's about the bevy of other emotions that have not been given credence. It's the shame. It's the disappointment. It's the overwhelm. It's the stress. It's the, the desire. It's all of these other things that we're told, don't feel that. That's too vulnerable. Nobody wants to hear about that. No one wants to see you suffer. And so we kind of erupt. <laughs> and that's why oftentimes in relationships, we can't take it anymore. And it, it comes out in sort of a, a quite negative outburst, kind of like a volcano erupting. And it's not that the emotions aren't valid at all. Of course they're valid. They've just been suppressed so damn long. They come out like a like a bat out of hell. So suppressing your feelings, first of all, is something that a majority of us are taught to do. So I want you to recognize that this thing, I, and of course this is a blanket statement, but this is massive conditioning. We don't operate in a society where we say feel all of the feels. You know, we have terms like fucking man up or pull yourself up by your bootstraps or don't cry over spilled milk or, you know, what all of these ways to say don't actually process, don't actually be with your emotions. So it's pushing down things that feel uncomfortable and suppressing your feelings, feelings can then lead to other detrimental behaviors like we've talked about before, like, you know 
over drinking or even over exercising, things like that, that maybe cross cross a line and really start robbing your health and your joy. So I did a deeper dive on emotional intelligence in episodes 356 and 370, which we'll link in the show notes as well. And for all of these items that I'm going to be talking about, almost all of them, I've done an additional episode or two that you can listen to. If you identify and go, oh, wow, yeah, that's me and it's not working. That's a coping mechanism that's not working any longer. And I would like to shift that. Pay attention to the show notes. There'll be a vault of additional pods for you to listen to. And then for each one of these, I want to give you an action step, something that you can do in your real world life to start shifting this stuff. So if you tend to suppress your feelings, a way in which we abandon ourselves, so to speak, I want you to take one or two days and simply practice naming your emotions just to yourself. Because this really is a vocabulary that we're not really taught. You know, we kind of hear happy and sad and angry, but we're, we don't really learn about nuances of fear or shame or embarrassment or overwhelm, sadness, disregard, all sorts of different things that we feel. So there are tons of great resources. If you just Google emotional chart, you will find all sorts of different visual representations of a multitude of different emotions that we have as humans. So print one of those out, take a look at it, see their different offshoots and how they are analogous or opposite from one another, and then start naming and identifying what it is you feel. Just take one or two days. You don't have to share this with anybody else. Just start to chronicle and exercise a vocabulary around what you are feeling because the more you can identify that and name it, the more apt you are to be able to express that to other people and in turn ask for what you need express what those needs are. And that was actually one of the deep dives from last week. So make sure you check out part one as well. Number eight is codependent relationships. And the idea behind codependent relationships is I'm okay as long as you're okay. It's kind of staking your well-being, your happiness, your contentment on another person. And Oftentimes, it's vice versa. They're also equally as dependent on you. And so it's almost like we can't operate wholly and completely as individuals. We need the other person in order to feel any semblance of wholeness. Now, that's obviously a very loose interpretation. It can show up in so many different forms. Uh, I believe it was originally coined in the addiction space and dealing with somebody in your life, perhaps a partner who is a, an alcoholic or addicted to a substance, but it can also permeate many, many other types of relationships. And we talked about this a lot in episode 410 with Vanessa Bennett. And I really want you to have a listen to that episode if that kind of speaks to you, if you're wondering if, oh, I might be a bit codependent with my partner or, or a parent. That can be very, very common or even with a child. 
And the thing that Vanessa highlights in that episode that I think is so incredibly important is to recognize that we're all going to have an element of codependency. And that does not have to be a bad thing. Again, remember, we're not putting blanket assumptions on all of these terms that codependency is always bad. That's not the case. For example, I know that I have some codependency with Mr. Smith because I am so invested in this relationship and I love him so deeply. I genuinely care if he's okay or not okay. And there's a huge piece of empathy. If you tend to be uh, an empath or a highly empathetic person or a highly sensitive person, when somebody else, especially somebody you're close to, is in pain or is struggling, it's likely that you're going to feel that. That's an element of if you're not okay, I'm not okay. That's very, very different than saying I cannot survive without this other human, or I'm not valuable, I'm not enough unless I'm in relationship with this other person, where you're putting all of your worth, all of your stake of your value inside of that relationship. We're just far too vast for that. There's so much more of who I am, for example, than who I am as a wife. Is that a huge piece of my life? Absolutely, but it's definitely not all. But there are codependent relationships, and I think many of you out there can probably attest to this, where it actually doesn't feel good. It's a constant rumination. It's an obsession about that other person or what they're thinking or what they're doing. And and perhaps you feed off of one another in that way. You enable one another with other detrimental habits or behaviors. So I'm certainly not the one to say, to assess what kind of relationship you're in, but I would highly suggest that you have a listen to that episode 410 with Vanessa just to get a little bit more of uh, some insight and some action steps that you can take if you speculate that this might be you. Number nine, woo, this one is my wheelhouse not speaking up for yourself. Now, this can dovetail off of not asking for what you need, uh, maybe settling. Definitely boundaries are here. This is letting people step all over you. And you know, I have gone off about this at length. So we did an entire boundaries series, episode 396 through 399. And then I also did one specifically on speaking up, which was episode 357. Now, I feel like our ability to speak up is multifaceted. I think that it depends on your family of origin, if, if that was fostered in you. Even though I grew up with a tremendous amount of religious dogma, my parents did not, as a, as a family unit, they did not stifle my voice. They did not tell me to be quiet. They didn't shame me for how I felt about things. They didn't make me wrong for being gregarious or loud or outspoken. In fact, my mom would always say, well, you never have to wonder what Amy's feeling. And it wasn't, it was never negative. It was sort of a positive, I love this about you sort of thing. So our ability to speak up or not speak up is highly influenced by our culture, our family of origin, how we feel about ourselves or how society has told us to feel about ourselves. And again, that is going to change depending on on your lived experience. 
and any intersections of your identities. So if you are a part of a certain cultural group, for example, there may have be cultural stereotypes that have said you always are loud. So maybe you specifically tempered that or that you were always quiet because you belong to this ethnicity or some other bullshit like that. And so you developed various coping mechanisms to either go along to get along or to buck against those norms and kind of blaze a trail for yourself. So the reasons why we don't speak up can be incredibly vast. And again, there are times when speaking up for yourself may not be safe, right? So I am never going to say to you, start speaking up for yourself all the time in every situation at all costs. No, your safety is always going to be the most paramount piece of, of any personal development concept no matter what it is. And I'll also say this, when I'm working with my clients and students, when we talk about establishing boundaries, having tough conversations, speaking up for yourself, my advice to them and sort of the tactics that I advocate for are very different depending on who you are relating to. If you are in any type of abusive type of situation where somebody's verbally abusive That's not necessarily when I'm going to talk to you about here's how to express your needs or here's how to enforce the boundary. That's not going to be our primary concern. Our primary concern is always going to be your safety and how do we maintain that safe space versus if you are in a fairly healthy relationship with a partner or a bestie or your boss, there are some very routine tactics that you can employ to go have a really thoughtful conversation or establish a boundary. And those are going to be wildly different (laughs) depending on who you're talking to. Okay. So as far as what we can actually do about this, I think there are probably those of you out there who can really tell there are times when I don't speak up for myself at work because I'm getting in my own way. For example, maybe your boss is asking for your input, but you think you don't have anything to offer or you think everything you're going to say is stupid. That inability to speak up is rooted in a belief about yourself, not necessarily because the situation is unsafe or that person is, is abusive or telling you that you're not worthy That's more of an internal thing that needs to shift. So I think that a large swath of you out there probably recognize, okay, here's someone who's who's maybe pushing me around a little bit, a family member who I really need to speak up for myself for with. Um, Or here's a situation with my best friend who she always says this one thing and it drives me fucking nuts. It's offensive and I need to speak up for it but I just don't know the words or I don't know if it's worth it, okay? Pay attention to your gut because I'm pretty sure you'll know you will get this kind of instinct, this intuition, which I talked about last episode, that kind of guides us and points us in that direction, but we override it. We do that cognitive override, that term I like to use. 
where we go, uh, don't don't speak up or it's it, what you have to say is not not that important. If you are in a safe environment and your physicality is not being threatened, nothing's being threatened, you're not highly triggered, it's time to start speaking up for yourself. So how do we go about doing that? Well, first of all, the action step I want you to take around this is I want you to take an inventory about who and what do you constantly complain about? Are there people in your life where you are so frustrated with your partner and so your bestie just gets an earful about it? Or maybe you are so frustrated with somebody at work and you come home and your partner just gets an earful. So maybe you are speaking up, but you're speaking up to the wrong party. But oftentimes, if we take a little inventory of when we are consistently and chronically complaining about a specific person, many times it's about something we simply haven't given voice to. So it's one thing to just blow off some steam and to complain about something that's shitty or that you're frustrated about. It's a very different thing to do that over and over and over again about one particular person who you will not have a difficult conversation with. All right. So I want you to take that inventory and get real clear with yourself. And I mentioned this a little bit last week, but for most of us, there has been some sort of deep-seated belief that we're not worthy, that we don't matter, we don't have value, and sometimes we're not lovable. But if you have this deep subconscious belief that you just aren't enough, many times those are the people who have a very difficult time speaking up for themselves or creating a boundary or saying no. And that is one of the most pervasive through lines that I see with all of the women that I work with through my Deep Down and Dirty program, which is my, you know, my primary option to work with me. It is a deep dive, group intensive. It spans almost four months because we really look at shifting this stuff. And almost everybody comes in with one of these self-abandoning behaviors, if not a handful of them, really being invested in what other people think to a, a huge inconvenience or sacrifice to their life, perfectionism that keeps them stagnant, all of these things like wanting to be able to establish boundaries but being terrified of actually doing that. Again, there's a reason why we adopted those behavioral tactics and we very frequently get to a point where we go, I can't fucking do this anymore. I am going to lose my shit if I try to make one more person happy or I add one more thing to my calendar or if I try to be more perfect at this particular project, I just can't do it anymore. And what that involves is not necessarily targeting all of the behaviors, but rather the belief underneath it all. And I see all of these women who think that because they do these behaviors that they're somehow broken. And that could not be farther from the truth. You're adapting, my love. You have just adapted to finding the techniques and the coping mechanisms to get you fucking through this life. And then you get to a point where you go, I can't keep using these tactics anymore. So what do we have to shift? Not you. You are not broken. We just have to shift the belief system. The beliefs could just use a little upgrade. 
And that is exactly what I help people do. We start with that internal piece of breaking down your disempowering beliefs, shifting them into more empowering stances, and then what that looks like to live into it. How do we condition that? So if you're interested in deep down and dirty and you're kind of going, I know that my lack of belief in myself is completely affecting everything in my life, my job, my abundance, my ability to have thriving relationships. And if you're sick of that and you're truly ready to make a change, I highly invite you to or highly encourage you to go to thejoyjunkie.com slash workshop. That's a free masterclass that I've put together for you that details a lot of the work I do inside Deep Down and Dirty so you can get a little taste, you can get a little understanding of if that would be the right program for you or not. And then at the end, when you're done taking lots of notes, learning about all of the things, you'll see an opportunity to book a call with a member of my team to to talk about if Deep Down and Dirty would be the right next step for you. If you want to truly make that commitment to make a concerted and concerted and dramatic change, and I would be incredibly honored to be a part of that with you. So again, first place to start, have a watch through the workshop. Thejoyjunkie.com/workshop will also be in the show notes for you. Okay, moving on to number ten, constant approval seeking. This is incredibly common, especially if you grew up in a situation or perhaps were in a relationship where you felt as though approval equaled love. And maybe you weren't honored or acknowledged for all of the facets of who you are. It was only when you did something quote unquote good or exceptional or you checked off an achievement box or something like that and you learned Ooh, here's how I receive love is through approval. I did a specific episode on this. You can catch it in episode 378 if you want a deeper dive. And this, again, is one of those things that I don't think is always negative. If you have put your heart and soul into something, and you, and especially if you're a highly emotional person, uh, which many of us are, We want validation. We want acknowledgement. We want to be seen for the effort that we put forth. I don't think that that's outlandish. Where I think it crosses the line is when we say, I'm not valuable. I'm not enough unless I receive approval, unless these other people think that I'm okay. The only way to find my value is through approval. That's when it gets a little sticky. Because then all of our happiness, all of our worthiness is hanging out outside of ourselves in other people's hands. And that's a shit ton of power to give to other people. So one of my favorite mantras around this, this is your action step, is to say, the only approval I need is my own. And you may even want to put an addendum or a prefix around it that says something like, I'm allowed to enjoy approval from others, but the only approval I need is my own. You know, maybe you add that little prefix. The only approval I need is my own. Because we're not wrong for enjoying accolades or celebrations or acknowledgments from other people. That's never going to be a problem. It's typically only a problem when we collapse that with our only avenue for self-worth. So that is your challenge for constant approval seeking. The only approval I need is my own. 
Number 11. This is another one of my my big soapbox conversation pieces. Saying yes when you really mean no. Again, many of these are rooted in an internal value of self. Like, do you actually value who you are? Because I do find that, and I see this with my students all the time, when they start to get really emboldened and anchored into this belief that they really are enough, that they really are valuable and beautiful already, already, without all these accomplishments, without all this approval, do they get to enjoy that stuff? Sure. Fuck yes. But does it make them worthy? No, they already are. And what is so incredible is I start to watch their bullshit tolerance get really, really low. So the shit they used to let people get away with or the shit they would do, like saying yes when they really meant no, completely changes. They go, oh, no, 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 you don't get to speak to me like that. Or, oh, no, I'm not going to accept that type of behavior in this relationship. Or... No, I'm actually not available, but I really do appreciate you thinking of me. I'm going to need to politely decline. And they do it without feeling guilt. Hello. So I, I've talked about this many times in learning how to say no. Again, this is a massive thing that gets conditioned in our, our psyche early on, especially disproportionately as women or those of us who identify as women. We learn that that's our lot in life to say yes to make sure that everyone else's comfort is paramount so what I would love for you to do is to come up with a great phrase a go-to phrase that maybe you practice you repeat over and over again you literally rehearse it okay because you have to remember all of your instincts to say yes over and over again to things you don't want that is habitual. That's ingrained in you. So we need to rehearse a completely different way of responding if we want to actually change it. Okay? Now, this doesn't mean we always do that, right? There are certain situations where I really don't want to do something, but I'm choosing to say yes to it because it's the woman that I want to be. So perfect example would be, let's say, a friend of mine who has maybe always been there for me, has just been an incredible support, asks a favor of me that I really don't want to do. But I say yes because it's the woman I want to be and that that element of sacrifice is important to me to continue to foster a reciprocal relationship. That is very different than feeling like I have no choice. I am always obligated. I have to have these people's approval or I have to say yes or I won't be loved or I won't be valuable. That's very, very different. And it's also not an all or nothing. It's not that you always say yes or you always say no. It's giving yourself that flexibility and learning how to cater to these various different situations, okay? So I want you to come up with a really good phrase that allows you to pause prior to saying yes. So something, it it might sound something like, how soon do you need an answer? Maybe it's just a question. Maybe it's, you know what, I need to double check what I've got going on that day and I will get back to you within 24 hours or later tonight or whatever. Maybe it is, I really need to think about that. Or 
I would hate to say yes and then have to pull out later. So I really want to give that some concerted thought. I'm going to need a couple hours, 24 hours, whatever it is. But I want you to come up with something that just gives you pause. I'm not saying you have to say yes or you have to say no. I'm saying I want you to just think it through and be really intentional and deliberate about what you do choose. And I cannot recall if I said this already, but I did a deeper dive on this in episode 227, which you can also find in the show notes. And then finally, rounding off the 12th way that we tend to abandon ourselves without really even realizing it is talking yourself out of things that are important to you. This, again, is the cognitive override. I did a little bit of a deeper dive on this in episode 265, which you can check out. But this is where we override our intuition yet again. It's when something feels like it's pulling at you that you want to do and you override it and you go, no, it's more important that this happens. It's more important that these people are taken care of. Talking yourself out of things that are important to you. Now, it's different to say, you know what? It's not really the time or the season. I don't know if that's something that we're going to be able to do right now, but it's still very, very important to me. It's keeping it important instead of talking yourself out of it. So I'll give you an example. Uh, Prior to my father passing away, I remember him talking about how it was a dream for him and my mom to be able to go to Hawaii. They always had extremely modest means, uh, very, very lower middle class. Um, Don't get me wrong. I have a shit ton of privilege. I'm very, very aware of that. But finances were a very real issue growing up. And it was quite often uh, the difference between does one of my little brothers get to get braces and get his teeth fixed or do my parents get to go on a vacation? I mean, vacations really weren't a thing for us growing up. <laughs> they were usually like a church camp or something like that. But we I didn't grow up with like a family vacation. And I'm not saying poor me at all. Again, check your privilege. Um, but if my dad would have said, oh, we don't we don't really even want to go anyway. We, we don't, it, it doesn't even matter. Our, we don't even really want to go. It's so much more important that we take care of your brother's teeth. That would then be an element of self-abandonment. But he didn't do that. He would say, okay, here are the things that are priorities in our life. Right now, the vacation to Hawaii is not nearly as important as the season that we're in, which calls for your brother's braces. And of course, he didn't articulate it like that. But that's the difference. It's the difference between saying, okay, I recognize that I would really love to go back to school, but I have a newborn and that might <laughs> exhaust me to all, all ends. And I don't know if it's the season for me to go back to school. That is very different than saying, oh, I, don't th- I don't think I even want to get a graduate degree anyway, or I, I don't think I even want to go back to school or, you know, what's even the point? I don't even know if I would use it in my career anyway. Talking yourself out of things that are important to you or that matter to you. Now, it might not even be something like that, something you want to achieve. It might be a cause that matters to you. It could be something where you're around people, this kind of 
goes into the whole concept of speaking up for yourself, but maybe you're around people who are speaking disparagingly about women's issues. And so you start talking yourself out of speaking up for that because you go, oh, you don't, you don't want to cause a scene or let's call in all the idioms, open up a can of worms or rock the boat or blah, 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 blah. Or you don't want to seem too needy or like this angry feminist or talking yourself out of it instead of going, you know what? I actually find that really offensive. We certainly don't need to get into it, but I'm going to politely excuse myself and just make it known that you were not complicit. You're not okay with whatever is being said. Again, as long as you feel safe, physically safe is what I'm talking about. Well, emotionally safe as well. But again, full freedom to dip out on those things if you actually feel like you're in danger. <laughs> those are not the moments when it's you, you take a stand for yourself. I hope that's really clear. I try to be clear about that as I discuss this with you. So taking yourself or talking yourself out of things that are important to you. So what can we do about this one? So action step with this one is to start leaning into your gut, start practicing that intuition. And that episode that I mentioned earlier, 265, is specifically about what that even means, how to start doing that, how to start listening to your gut. And it's usually... It's usually a feeling that you get. It's a gut response. It's usually your first response. It's usually a little bit quieter. And then directly following that comes your inner critic talking you out of listening to that intuit intuition. Your inner critic goes, you're making something out of nothing. You're being too needy. You're asking for too much. You're causing a scene. It goes into the cognitive override. Okay, it talks you out of things with faulty logic instead of recognizing, ooh, that comment didn't sit well with me or how that person treats me doesn't feel right. And then you, you got that feeling, right? You get the gut and then comes the inner critic. Oh, you're making something out of nothing. So if you find yourself listening to these excuses or these talking yourself out of feeling what you feel, there may be an intuitive hit there, all right? So checking in with your gut, noticing that, and it's almost like a sixth sense. It's something that we feel as deeply as our other senses, but again, we learn to condition ourselves out of that from a very early age. So we have to, it's just atrophied. It's still there. We still have it. We just have to work it out a little bit more. So again, check out 265 if you want a little bit of a deeper dive there. All right. So a quick little recap. Number seven, suppressing your feelings. Number eight, codependent relationships. Number nine, not speaking up for yourself. Number 10, constant approval seeking. Number 11, saying yes when you really mean no. And finally, number 12, talking yourself out of things that are really important to you. So there you have it, our final list of a handful of behaviors that many of us do, sometimes even in a healthy way, uh, but also in a really negative way and how we tend to abandon ourselves. 
So be sure to check out all of the information in the show notes. Uh, Check out the workshop, the free workshop that I have for you if you want to dig even deeper. And next week, we are going to have an unbelievable guest that is going to blow the roof off thing. So please don't miss it. We're going to be jumping into a new series. It's going to be spearheaded by the one, the only Mel Robbins will be on the Joy Junkie show. Next week, she's going to be talking about her brand new book and what it really means to believe in yourself. So very similar to what we've been discussing already. I do so hope you will join us and I will see you around these parts next week. Here is to loving and living your most badass life.